Welcome to Ability Assistance. My name is Phyllis Jones, Chair of the North Andover Commission on Ability Assistance. Please stay tuned after the show for important information about changes to the Community Choice Power Supply Program. Now today's show is going to be a little different. I'm hosting it alone because my normal co-host is actually today's guest. <laughs> Today we're joined by Stacy Leibowitz, Vice President of Day Habilitation and Community Engagement at Bridgewell, and Shannon Kaiser, Director of Community and Family Services at Bridgewell. Welcome ladies. Thank you. <laughs> so in addition to being secretary of the commission and co-host of the I'm show. I'm everywhere. <laughs> so we know about you in terms of why you come. Why don't you give us a little background? Uh, I always say people come into this field usually because of some sort of a personal background. Could you tell us a little bit about yours and why you chose to work in this field? Sure can. Thank you for having me, by the way. You're more than and welcome. thank you for inviting yes, me, Stacey. Absolutely. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I have been in um, human services for the last 10 years. My entry into this came because my youngest daughter, I have four children, uh, she was born with Noonan syndrome and a tub 2B gene defect. Um, and she was very medically fragile from the beginning. And I made a pact that if the universe kept her here with me that I would give back and do everything I could to help others in this situation. So I've been doing this for the last 10 years and absolutely love it. Can you explain a little bit? I'm not aware, I'm sure there are people on also out there who are not aware, Noonan syndrome yes. and... Yep. So Noonan syndrome is a single gene defect. It's actually the most common genetic um, developmental disability there is, but most people have never heard of it. Um, yep. Lo and behold, <laughs> here we are. Um, a lot of people nowadays are finding out that they actually have Noonan syndrome when they've had a child who's been diagnosed. Bridget's was a sporadic mutation, so neither my husband nor I or anybody in our family had it. It just happened. Um, it's characterized by short stature, um, curly hair, um, significant heart defects, uh, failure to thrive. Most individuals with Noonan syndrome struggle with some developmental delay, but not typical um, intellectual disability. Okay. But Bridget does have an intellectual disability. Um, when she was five, just she never followed the true tra trajectory of what a typical person with Noonan syndrome had or even looked like. So we kept digging, and I was just I said, "There's there's more to all of this." Um, and we saw the brain malformations clinic at Boston Children's Hospital, mm -hmm. where she was then later diagnosed after some blood work and an MRI with a tub 2B gene. Um, so she actually has two completely separate genetic disorders. So what we really is, hit the lottery. What is a tub 2B gene? She has um, white matter where there should be gray matter, okay. gray matter where there should be white matter. She has an abnormally shaped thalamus. Um, and most people look at her MRI and if they just saw what they see on paper, would think that this is an individual with significant delay, um, probably doesn't walk, doesn't talk. And it took her a long time, but she that's all she does is walk and talk, and she's doing amazing now. That's fantastic. And she's how old at this? She's 16 now. 
Is she in school? Is she in a private setting? Yep. She So three years ago, she transferred out of our public school system mm -hmm. into a collaborative. Um, she's at lab over at Bedford High School, okay. and it is a perfect fit for her. She's, she's doing extremely well, um, and we're just really happy with her progress. Speaking as a parent who has a child who's been placed out of district, mm -hmm. um, which most parents out there know can be extremely daunting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and the one thing I always tell parents is work the system. Absolutely. Get it to the point where the school system can't say anymore, we've run out of all the programs and they have to. Exactly. Um, is that what you ended up doing as well? Bridget's situation was a little bit different. We actually wanted her to stay in Tewksbury for her, the duration of her yep. education. Um, unfortunately, she had an assault take place at school, mm -hmm. and we wound up moving her out of district. But you know, they say everything happens for a reason. Yes. Um, and she, like I said, lab is a perfect fit for her. It's not for every child. Um, uh, we were lucky. Our program was great until that happened, and it just, she wasn't safe anymore, so we needed and, to move. And right. that's the important part, yes. is to keep her safe. Exactly. My son is at a um, therapeutic day school, mm -hmm. and he's been thriving in ways. He got better grades than I do in high school. <laughs> I and I'm a it. lawyer, and he's got better grades than I do in high school, which goes to prove that just because somebody has a developmental disability, a cognitive disability, has no bearing on their ability to get an education. Absolutely and not. And to connect one plus one and come up with two. Correct. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that with us. You're welcome. So we've got day program, mm -hmm. which Stacy does, and you handle what? I ha handle family and community services. Okay. Why don't we first go with day program, mm -hmm. And then we'll talk about family and community services absolutely. and how the two work together, mm -hmm. which I'm yep. sure you do. Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of crossover. Uh, so I work for Bridgewell. We both work for Bridgewell. Mm -hmm. And I oversee um, several day habilitation uh, and CBDS and employment programs. So first off, we have day habilitation. So within that, we have uh, two autism-focused programs, mm -hmm. as well as a program that focuses on individuals who have a developmental or an intellectual disability and mental illness, as well as more of a medical model program, uh, day habilitation program. And then we also have employment and CBDS, which is community-based day services, uh, which is very encouraging of people being in the community getting jobs and inclusion and basically having um, a really high quality life in the community. We prepare them with skills, um, travel training, uh, interview skills, resume preparation. Uh, and I know that that's done for other adults in the community. Yes. However, somebody with a developmental delay or disability or an intellectual disability needs somebody needs that can talk to them in a it's different a perspective. Different, right, it's a different way of learning. And yes. we may have to chunk things down into more digestible pieces. Uh, also, once we are able to, um, somebody is able to get a job in the community, they will need coaching. Ideally, we are looking to pull that coaching away so somebody is more independent and mm -hmm. working with their employer. Also, part of that is working with the employer yep. and making sure that they understand, you know, working with somebody who may have some challenges and how to support them. Uh, on our day hub side, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a little bit more medical. 
So especially with autism, because that has been um, a big concern over the past few years, making sure that people who have autism do not fall through the cracks. Yes. Um, because for a long time that was an issue. It still is in, in the wake of COVID that there is a long line of people turning 22. So we're doing That's, our best yeah. to address that. But we really provide support uh, in day habilitation to get people to, again, develop life skills. In some cases, it's coping skills because a lot of times individuals with autism have trouble with transitioning from one activity to another, even leaving a house and coming to program can be an issue. Mm -hmm. So it's a very different situation and we may have some individuals with very extensive behaviors whom we have to support. So um, that's the overview uh, of those programs. And just as a quick aside where Bridgewell is concerned, we are very, um, we're a large company. We also provide other services. We have 60 plus residential programs, uh, which include autism, uh, also clinically or medically based programs uh, and other residences that uh, many of the individuals who are in our day programs also live in our residences. And we also provide uh, clinical services for those. So again, there's crossover. We work with our, our clinical um, folks to provide uh, psychiatric services to our individuals as well. Uh, and we also have substance abuse programs. And, and hopefully at some point I can bring maybe some other people from Bridgewell to talk about that. So it's, it's extensive. It's definitely more than a half an hour show, um, but that's sort of the overview. Uh, and I'll let, um, you know, Shannon talk more about family support and how we have collaborated, at least on the day side as well. Now, for the day programs, mm -hmm. are you starting based upon when somebody is either 18 and they've graduated from high school or 22 if they've cycled out? Right. That's so. a good question. And we generally start at 22 and we receive referrals from the Department of Developmental Services to, um, to have people uh, go through the referral and enrollment process into our day hab and or our employment and community-based services. Uh, there are people who at the age of 18, they may graduate and we are able to look at people who are younger than mm -hmm. 22, but that's not generally the norm. It, it's really encouraged to go through the school system until 22. Right. And then, and, and we encourage parents to really educate themselves. That's something that also family support is very much involved in. So they're prepared for that, that change because it's, it's like, and, and we've said this throughout the industry, it's like falling off a cliff yes. because the entitlements that an individual would receive in school under age 22 do not exist for those over 22. So coming into our programming is different. There's a lot of support, but it's different. And people, parents and guardians need to prepare for that. And I've even said that you need to prepare for turning 18 because even if they don't graduate from school at that point, they, they are the age of majority. Yep. And you are not automatically a guardian. Parents don't always realize that. Yeah, here, and that, here comes the attorney and me coming right. out. They need to prepare yeah. that, you know, there's that piece that you need to look at guardianship if appropriate and get a lawyer and start, you know, informing yourself and also planning for the expense if you can afford it. There are those pieces but also uh, your child will have to, you will have to help your child reapply for social security because now they are an adult and they but are no longer. But it's SSDI, it's not SSI, right? Um, not necessarily, okay. it depends on the situation. Sometimes SSDI can be in place if, and I, I'm not, I know, I don't have all the knowledge, yeah, there's but no sometimes way to if you have a, a parent who has passed away, you might be SSDI eligible but in a lot of cases it's SSI because okay. it's based on that uh, disability from 
that pre-existing situation. And for those of us who, or for those out there who don't understand all the acronyms mm -hmm. we're dealing with, SSDI is? Social Security Insurance, if I remember correctly. No, that's SSI. Yep, and then SSDI is Social Security Disability Insurance. Insurance. Which is really more like if somebody's been working many years and they become disabled and can apply for okay. that. But that's where also, I know from my sister, who I am a legal guardian mm -hmm. for, and we've, we've talked about this before on the show in the past, um, that she is uh, developmentally challenged and has a coexisting mental illness, but because we lost a parent, she actually was eligible for SSDI and was Based a better. Based on what the parent exactly. paid into the system. Exactly. So it's a different, you know, you really have to work with the Social Security Department on that. Sometimes, you know, you may want to work with an expert. Again, this is where Shannon can mm -hmm. really address some of the programming that she provides to families. And it's not just families who are funded under um, her program. We can open it up for our day programs. We can open it up for, for parents across the board or people across the board who want to be informed. That okay, so I have a child. Let's say he needs to go into a day program mm -hmm. eventually. Mm -hmm. He's going to be 15 soon, so I need to start thinking about are we talking about possible guardianship when he turns 18? Mm -hmm. You know, Will he be able to graduate high school, or if, is he going to cycle out at 22? And I think a lot of people also don't understand the concept of the fact that a child is able to stay in the public school system right. until they're 22. And by the time they're 22, they can graduate with a high school diploma. They can pass the MCAS, depending mm -hmm. upon the child's own individual abilities or they will get a certificate of completion. Right. So they're not just walking away with nothing. So, okay, I need to start thinking about that now, mm -hmm. just in case my kid gets better grades in high school than I got, and I'm sitting <laughs> here as a lawyer. Um, but let's say I'm not in that situation, and there are programs that he needs, programs that I want to make sure of are in place for him, because God willing, he lives longer than I do. Mm -hmm. So that's where you come in, right? Yes. So explain, break that down a little bit for sure. us. Family support actually starts at age three. Okay. And maybe we can back up a little bit and talk about how you can get involved with your family support center. Every DDS office has a family support center tied to it. Um, in North Andover, it's Fidelity House out of Lawrence. I work for the North Shore area office and yeah. Bridgewell is the family support center for that area. We serve anybody who is age three to 103, as long as they live at home with a family member um, or on their own um, and have an intellectual disability. Mm -hmm. um, they, you, you sh te technically, you should be eligible for DDS, if you're not, we'll help you do that. We'll help you go through that process. And we offer a number of trainings a year. Um, we offer a lot of activities for families. We offer case management. Um, you name it, whatever a family or an individual needs help with, they can connect with their family support center. And if we don't have the answers, we'll help them find the answers. So our program is meant for residents of North Andover. Yes. But we have reach and we know that. Mm -hmm. So grandma and grandpa live in North Andover. Yep. And grandchild lives with mom or dad out in the Berkshires. Mm -hmm. We're still in Massachusetts. May not sometimes feel like it to some people, <laughs> but we're still in Massachusetts. 
even out in the Berkshires, they have somebody yes. similar to what you do yes. out on the North Shore. Every town in city, to city or town in the state of Massachusetts is attached to a DDS family support office. That's fantastic to know because I know a lot of people think, well, it's only Boston, right. I only have the ability to if, um, and to know if you're out on the Cape, if you're on the islands, if you're out in the Berkshires, mm -hmm. if you live in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, then you've got this opportunity available to you. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's important for everybody to be yes. aware of. Yep, and we're here to help. So on the show, your credits will run with your office numbers, <laughs> um, but I don't know where to go. I can contact you and say, hey, I saw you on Ability Assistance. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to point me to the right yes, program. Absolutely. There is not a colleague that I have in the entire region that wouldn't help a family, even if they're not in their area. We'll direct them to where they need to go. And, and that's important it for is. people to know. So you start at three. Mm -hmm. What happens at three that you're eligible to be able to help them with? At three, if the child maybe goes through child find and they're eligible for some services, whether that's you know maybe OT or speech or you know something along those lines, um, if it's looking like that child's going to have a developmental disability or an intellectual disability, then oftentimes they're able to start school um, in the public schools where they'll receive services at no cost to them mm -hmm. um, and not have to maybe potentially go through you know, a private preschool or things like that. So it really does start early. And then they enter kindergarten and yeah. then your, your services are all going to come from your town at that point. And I think a lot of people also don't realize my son needed speech therapy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Starting at three or four years exactly. old. Exactly. Yes. The school provided it and put him on an IEP. Exactly. So if you know you have a child who's going to need those services, it's easier to put the child on the IEP mm -hmm. with that information because then you build on it. Absolutely. As opposed to all of a sudden at 16, you Absolutely. want to put your child on an yes. IEP. Right, right. And like we've kind of said, you know, I mean, 22 sounds like a long time away, but it's not. When you're in the thick of it, it goes by so fast. And the more services that you can get and build upon from 3 to 22 is only going to help your child, young adult, in the long run. Now, let me ask you, um, I know that there are certain programs that are only available to kids or individuals with mass health. Yes. Is that, a, I know that from my experience with DMH programs, mm -hmm. is that the same with DDS programs? It is, yes. Okay, so if I have private insurance, I might want to look at getting mass health as a secondary in order to assist my child or a loved one, might not be a child, with getting those specialty programs. That's correct. Can you help? Because that's a daunting application we, in and of itself. We most certainly can. And oftentimes, you know, we are, we are educated on the basics so we mm -hmm. can help in easy situations, but then there are more complicated situations. And we have a number of resources that we can point families to so that they can get more in-depth information about potentially filling out an application or a special circumstance or things like that. Um, and that's the beauty of a family support center is yes, could you Google everything and figure out how to do it? You 100% can. But sometimes we know the little backdoor tricks or we know some someone that we should put you in touch with who, you know, 
maybe has a little bit more knowledge and just makes the process a little bit easier. No, that's important to know because I can't tell you, I mean, I got a dye job yesterday, but the number <laughs> of gray hairs that I've gotten trying to deal and I, with my legal background yes. and my government background, and I'm still sitting here with, you know, gray hairs going on, um, but it's important, I think, for people to realize they're looking at, am I looking at DMH, am I looking at DDS, mm -hmm. am I looking at, Matt? you know, and mm -hmm. it's, it can be daunting. It's exhausting. Yeah, and having that advocate Yes. or support to walk you through the process is incredible because you're dealing with that from childhood on and to Shannon's point and your point that that time goes a lot quicker mm -hmm. than you think Yes. and things change very quickly like okay this person's becoming 18 now you have to apply for different things and it also switches up with MassHealth that really once somebody becomes an adult you really want MassHealth to be your primary to get services because sometimes with private insurance, like once they become 26, for example, okay. because that's you know not immediately in adulthood, but at some point, you know the private insurance is not necessarily the best way to go, depending on medication needs or services. So having and I think the governor actually just signed a bill. Yeah. If I was reading properly, um, legislation just passed about a step up program. Are you aware of those at all, where the private insurance will require, if the doctor is requiring or requesting mm -hmm. something, whether it be a right. medication or a service or whatever, because it might be less expensive for the private insurance, right. <laughs> some, not all, right. private insurance companies try to do these step-up programs, right. and the governor Which just, do anyway. yeah. yep. and the governor just signed a bill to help protect people mm -hmm. from, mm -hmm. if you did the step-up program under one insurance, not to have to go through it again. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially with a population that we serve, especially if there are certain medications, that can be very uh, cumbersome. It can be devastating, really, for, say, an individual who has, um, you know, some psychiatric concerns. If they find something that's working, but suddenly the insurance changes and they're mm -hmm. saying they have to start over, that can be very cumbersome and even dangerous for the individual or others to switch things to switch up. things yes. around i don't think sometimes that's really acknowledged um and not that i'm an expert on on mass health or the right. other insurers but we generally from everything i have seen serving our population we have not had that issue with mass health so i think it's also that education for parents that you know what it's mass health is a really good system for this um, I think there's a misunderstanding about, well, it's only for people who yes. are, you know, under a certain salary level, and it's, it's not necessarily the case. I think you really have to, to learn, and that's where mm -hmm. also family support is very important. Now, I, you gave me the information for North Andover, mm -hmm. um, which I will post on our Facebook page, but for me, because I've gotten to a point where it's like, okay, I'm working a full-time job, right. Right. I need to get stuff done, I have other commitments aside from just the commission, mm -hmm. and I need somebody to help. Right. It's, and, it's challenging for me as a professional in the field, so I always have, I think about all the families out there who don't have the knowledge that I have, or maybe Stacy has, and it, it's hard for us, so it's, you know, reach out for help because that's what we're there for. And I think sometimes people get embarrassed they do. to reach out for help. Yes. Is it fair to say that they shouldn't be? 
absolutely not. That's what uh, we are here to help you. Yeah. Okay. Think of us. I like to use the analogy that your family support center is kind of like the general contractor, <laughs> and we can find the subspecialties okay. to sort of help you make this life a little bit easier. Now it's easier for people whose native language or primary language is English. Mm -hmm. What about the person, Spanish, Portuguese, mm -hmm. Haitian Creole? I think there are 10 languages that the state supports. Mm -hmm. um, do you have access to that? Do you have the ability mm -hmm. so that if somebody needs, I'm just throwing out a language, Haitian yep. Creole, okay, that, that they can feel comfortable coming to you knowing that they're gonna get the services they're not going to be treated differently, but they're not going to have a language barrier either. Absolutely. It's part of our contract, actually. We need to be able to help anyone who walks through our door, regardless of race, color, creed, language, you name it. Um, we tend to use the language line a lot if there is a language that you know may not be as common mm -hmm. so that we can help people. Um, but we also like to use a lot of you know natural resources. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in the field you know have a family member who may speak English so we'll use translation there. Or families may have someone that they're already working with that speaks their language that and they're comfortable. There's yeah. a relationship there and that person will help us. Um, so we will do everything everything in our power to be able to figure out how can, how we can help anybody. And your services are confidential? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, so if somebody, they're undocumented, their child is an American citizen and is fully documented, you're not going to report right. them to the government. Nope. Absolutely. The, the concern right. is making sure that the child right. gets the services right. and the parent gets, or whoever the guardian is, gets the assistance they need to get the services. Exactly. Yep. And I, I think a lot of people get afraid of government because mm -hmm. they don't mm -hmm. understand not every piece of the government is, you know, gonna be concerned about your documentation. Right. And, right. and to be clear, we're a nonprofit organization. Granted our funding comes from the state, but we are a nonprofit. And so so those are not things that we would be addressing or reporting on we are here to serve. Mm -hmm. Now, and so your funding become, comes from the state. I'm below a certain, you know, mm -hmm. pretend I'm below a certain income threshold. Do I ever need to worry about paying for your services regardless of whether or not I'm below a certain income threshold or above a certain income threshold? For, from a family support perspective, there, we do not charge for any of our mm -hmm. services. Okay. So Everything you're 100% funded yes. through whatever funding sources you have. Yep. And that's even true on the day program, res side. There are families who do decide to do private pay. It's very few and far between. Most families, regardless of income, and then this is where, again, individuals that we serve, people we serve, need to be on Mass Health mm -hmm. um, because that would be, or DDS, depending on what they're funded. So our residential programs are all funded under the Department of Developmental Services, if they qualify for that, then that will be funded, you know, depending on when they uh, come into res. And then on the day hub side, day programming side, it depends on the programming. So if it's employment and CBDS, it would be DDS funded. Okay. If it's um, day habilitation, that would be Mass Health. And we do have people who are funded under both split funding, depending on their needs. Um, it has nothing to do with salary level and everything to do with, because this is an adult, yep. so they're not counting the parents' income or any of that. This is, um, they're an adult 
and this is the service that they qualify for. And I think that's important mm -hmm. for people to know yeah. as well because they're thinking, okay, this is great, but I earn $80,000 right. a year. It has nothing you know, to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. It's, mm -hmm. it's a matter of that these right. are programs that the state funds and right. you implement. Correct. And that's, I think, important for yep. people to know. Mm -hmm. You're getting the money, but you're implementing it based upon the guidelines mm -hmm. provided to you. Right. Mm -hmm. How have you seen um, you touched upon it briefly, post-COVID. Yeah. I, I mean, I can tell you from a personal perspective what mm -hmm. the psychiatric field has been like trying to navigate post-COVID. Are you seeing an uptick in, in the need for people who might not have needed it prior to because of the way COVID just mm -hmm. affected everybody on a psychological level? <laughs> I, from a family support perspective, I think what we've seen is that family, caregivers are exhausted. Mm -hmm. They're coming to us and needing even just, you know, talking support. They just want someone to hear them. Um, day programs have closed or, you know, people haven't been able to go back to their day program so they have their loved one at home and they're like, what, what can we do with them all day? So we've tried to fill that gap with, you know, offering things like a virtual calendar or um, that have different types of activities going on, you know, six days a week typically. Um, the other piece of that is, you know, with the way the economy is, I mean, a lot of people are struggle, struggling financially. Yes. So we're getting a lot of calls about, you know, I'm really having a hard time paying my electric bill right now. What can I do? Or I need, I don't know whether I should pay the electric bill because I need to buy groceries this week. We we help with those things. Okay, so if somebody has problems with electrical bill, for yes. example, you know how to how to basically drive them to find the services that they need because they have this person in the household who can help defer some of those costs. Absolutely. Or I think they're still called food stamps. That's mm -hmm. how I know them to yep. be. Yeah. Um, if somebody needs help with groceries yes. because they have this person right. in the household, it's not going to pay for all of their groceries, obviously, but it's going to help defer the fact that right. that they have this person in their house exactly. to help take care yep. of them. We can call the electric company and make sure that they are getting the lowest rate that's available. We know that the electricity uh, electric company has different types of programs that they can go mm -hmm. on. If their bills are passed due, we can help make sure they go through all of that. But then in addition, if we've exhausted all of those things, we also know about different grant opportunities throughout the community that we can also tap into. Um, and then sometimes there is a little bit of flexible funding that we, are avail we have available to help a family through some of those tough times. What about housing? Everybody's talking about rents have increased. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's very difficult for people to buy a house now. Yes. Um, you know, what about just basic living? Mm -hmm. if, you, if I can't get my loved one into a day program or maybe even a residential program if that's what's needed, can you help with housing costs? We can help with housing costs if the individual has some flex funding attached to them through the okay. DDS program. Otherwise, I go back to that analogy where we're the general contractor. We'll find someone else that is a housing specialist that can, can help with those things. So you're, you're the baseline. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think of it as like a spider. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're the body, but you know where all the legs go. We do. And that's, I think, 
you know, now that everybody's done scratching themselves about spiders. You know. <laughs> we can save you some time in making a thousand phone calls and say, this is who you need to connect with. And I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I start with you, my kid's 14 or 15, because now I know that's what I need mm -hmm. to. I'm going close to 18. I'm dealing with the guardianship piece. Now I'm going close to 22. Mm -hmm. How do you talk to you? <laughs> we talk all the time. <laughs> well, I'm not talking coffee talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, family support, really, I encourage families, get to know your family support center because mm -hmm. if you do that, I'm having monthly meetings with DDS okay. and I'm able to talk about, you know, oh, I connected with this individual and they're struggling, Susie's really struggling this month, you know, we're building that rapport and that relationship, but we're also building that file for DDS so that when it comes to that turning 22, DDS is more prepared and, you know, isn't scrambling to sort of get to know, like, what are the needs that this person has? You know, in that way, then I can also talk to Stacy and some of her programs mm -hmm. to see whether those are good fits. Exactly. Do they have openings? Yep. If not, maybe we need to look at this, go down this direction. Or if you know in advance, put them on a waiting mm -hmm. list. Exactly. exactly. Yes. Now, that, that's also very important to know. People don't always realize the more you can, for lack of a better term, pad the file, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the more you have the opportunity to get the services you need when you need yes. them. And it's not being a squeaky wheel, it's, educa it's educating and advocating for your loved one. DDS, the, the professionals that I work with who work there, they're phenomenal and they want to help. They go into these jobs for a reason. But they have, I know the children's coordinators alone have upwards of 300, you know, individuals on their caseload. There's no way they can get to know everybody in every intimate detail. And then that carries over even to the transition coordinator. Mm -hmm. So when you age out of children's services and you're looking at turning 22, from 18 to 22, you're assigned a children's coordinator at DDS. Uh, I'm sorry, a transition, transition coordinator at DDS. And that's the person who's going to help you transition into adult services. The more you yep. can, more information you can give them, the better off because the more they can help. Right. And the transition coordinators who I end up work working with, uh, as well as my directors, uh, my director of GAHAB and the director of community engagement who oversee employment and, um, and community engagement pieces. So all referrals come through DDS. Even mm -hmm. those who are funded under MassHealth, ultimately through GAHAB, everything funnels through, you know, DDS. So having that understanding and relationship across the board and getting as much information up front um, puts us in a better place because mm -hmm. then once it comes to us, we're evaluating that person for services. And the more info we have on the front end uh, and the less chasing we have to do, though sometimes that does happen, but the more we know about it, the easier it's going to be for us to process that referral and get them in. Now, politics aside, mm -hmm. okay, you folks are boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. Yes. DDS or DMH, whoever you need to deal with, they're, they're circling the funds for you and they're helping you get the programs. Purse strings are controlled by the legislature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you ever go to a point where you're educating the legislate, legislators either directly or through DDS indirectly to explain boots on the ground, you know, mm -hmm. We know there's only so many dollars we can get. 
but it costs us 50 cents to do this, you're only giving us 45 cents, and we need to figure out where the other five cents is coming from. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get involved with that? Yes, uh, all the time. Um, we, we promote advocacy to families quite a bit because you have to be the voice. Without it, they don't know. Um, you know, I've spoken at a number of legislative breakfasts, you know, I constantly send out things to our families, you know, here's a big legislative action call, please contact your state reps or, you know, your congressman, whoever it is, and let them know that this is important to you. They need to hear from their constituents on why they need to advocate for all of us. Now, you mentioned state legislators, you mentioned congressmen. Mm -hmm. Okay. We, DDS, so people are aware, is a state agency. Mm -hmm. Yes which means it gets state funding. Mm -hmm. Now that I know there are certain state agencies that get their funding really directly from the federal government, mm -hmm. which would be your congressman or your senator. How does working with the federal government affect your ability to get that extra five cents? Do you want to speak to that, Stacy, a little bit? Well, everything that we get through the state comes from the feds, ultimately. Mm -hmm. okay. Our first line of fire is always the state when yep. it comes to, so, you look at Mass Health, that's Medicare, Medicaid. That comes directly from the feds, but we have to go through Mass Health first because that's our agency. That's our you know, government entity that supplies funding for DAHAB, as well as DDS. So we work with them, but um, to Shannon's point, when we're you know, looking to advocate, we do it through the state. Uh, and we also have um, the you know, I know I'm gonna say this wrong, the Association for Developmental Disability Providers, okay. it, right? ADDP, <laughs> which is our, our organization that also helps lobby for us with the state. So we have these trade associations that we work with that also are an arm and we report out to them. We have meetings, I'm on their day program committee uh, where we meet and I know we have a fellow VP for res who's on the committee for residential and we report out what we're dealing with, our staffing crisis, our issues around funding, because obviously when money is attached to, an to a person receiving services, that money also helps to pay the salaries for those who care for that person, who provide support. And right now that's become a huge issue for us. Well, it's been an issue for a long time, even prior to COVID. But it's gotten but now worse. now in the face of COVID, it's been really astronomically worse. Uh, so it's, it's a huge concern. We really, to Shannon's point again, really push the families to advocate. While we can go up there and advocate, we're the people working in the industry. They wanna hear the personal stories and we try to share those, but we really work with the families to share those stories and the people themselves who have developmental challenges, mm -hmm. who have um, the, the issues with autism and concerns around intellectual disabilities. We work, when we know something has come out that, oh, we need to send a letter, we need to um, make a few phone calls. We work with our people in programming, especially our CBDS and employment programs, to make calls and to share emails. It's part of you know, training and advocacy for them to, um, to advocate for themselves with the government. We are here to try, between family support and, and all of the programs, to build independent skills. So you know, hearing the advocacy piece from a person served is huge, as well as the families. And that's how we get involved. And, and that's important to know because you can be as educated as you want. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter your level education, but you can be as educated as you want to do as much yeah. as you want for yourself. 
The fact of the matter is, is you're still the boots on the ground, folks. Family registers mm -hmm. with you and starts working with you. You're going to have your ears perked already mm -hmm. to what's going on on Beacon mm -hmm. Hill, what's going on in the federal government, how funding is going to be um, dealt with yeah. so that if something comes up, you know you can talk to your people who you service and say this might or might not affect the services that mm -hmm. your direct family member will receive in order to be mm -hmm. able. No, I think that's important because it's a, yeah. a, a whole program. It's not just you're helping me fill out an application. Exactly. Right. You really are taking part in my family. Mm -hmm. right. And, and you're connected to my family, mm -hmm. um, which means there's a sense of trust that people can then build with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And many of us in the field, obviously Shannon, myself, and others are personally connected. We are in the field for a reason. I have a sister with a disability. Shannon has a daughter with a developmental disability. We all have some kind of connection. We don't go into this field for, you know, for no reason. Right. There's, you know, a passion and a need to help people and even as Shannon said even if we're not able to help them ourselves we will always point them in another direction where there are resources we do not leave people hanging no that's that's fantastic and I'm so grateful you both came on to talk about mm -hmm. family services day services mm -hmm. and how they interact because mm -hmm. I really do think it's important for family members to understand like you said, Stacy, they're going to fall off a cliff. Yeah. And without the knowledge, the, right. without the planning. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the one thing that is the scariest yep. is that. I do want to add, and Shannon, I just want you to, because I'm thinking of this, the trainings that you provide yes. for mm -hmm. parents and even for our staff, like anybody can take. So like the guardianship Absolutely. planning, uh, you know, those types of yeah, things. Yeah, we, we are mandated by our contract to offer up to six trainings a year. We try to do even more. Yeah. Um, the beauty of post-COVID is that we've gotten a lot more engagement and we're doing a lot of them in either hybrid mode or just virtual. So you can participate from anywhere. Yeah. Um, and those trainings are invaluable. I have learned so much from so mm -hmm. many of them. Um, and there's, and all of the centers are offering mm -hmm. them. It's not just Bridgewell, uh, Fidelity House offers right. them, Greater Haverhill, Newberry, Ock. Every single family support center is offering different trainings and you can learn so much. Mm -hmm. There is power in that education. I find that a lot of trainings, not necessarily through you folks, but just in general, it's in the middle of the day, yep. I'm working, I don't have the ability to mm -hmm. take the time off. Are they recorded so that I can get them on demand? Depending upon the speaker and who we have, when we have the ability to record them, we do. Um, not all of them can be, but what we've also tried to do is uh, stagger when we offer them. Sometimes mm -hmm. it works great to do it during a lunchtime. Sometimes it's on an evening. Maybe it's a weekend. So we, we understand that you know everybody's schedules are different and we try to be as accommodating as Scattering possible. Scattering as much yep. as possible. And oftentimes, you know, we're able to send out the slides or information mm -hmm. or, you know, we're attending those trainings. Mm -hmm. So you can call your family support center and say, I missed it last night. Can you give me an overview of mm -hmm. what was discussed? And, you know, then we can do that and then point them back to whoever they need to talk to. Well, thank you very much, ladies. I really do appreciate it. Um, Transition planning is always going to be scary for people, mm -hmm. um, but 
no, I, I personally, like I said, you gave me the information I need so that I can, I can do what I need to do. And it's also important that people know that your center isn't unique to the North Shore. Right, right. And you're connected to every place else in Massachusetts. Yes. yes. So if my loved one is on Nantucket, you know how to reach that person Absolutely. for me. That's wonderful. And we're happy to do so. Which is even better. <laughs> Thank you. Stacy, thank you for switching roles today. Anytime. <laughs> My pleasure. And, and Shannon, thank you for joining her. It was great. I really enjoyed it. On behalf of all of us on the North Andover Commission on Ability Assistance, thank you for joining us on Ability Assistance. You can reach Stacy by phone at 339-883-2121. Yes. And you can reach Shannon by phone at 978-595-3539. Yes. You can learn more about Bridgewell at www.bridgewell.org. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and this information is special just for the residents of North Andover. You heard it last month. You're going to hear it this month until the town hall tells us okay already. Are you aware of the town's community power choice supply program? If you're like so many of us who left the town-sponsored program over the summer and moved back to National Grid as your energy supplier because of the higher rates, you might want to consider moving back. You can call Colonial Power Group at 866-485-5858, extension 1, to learn more. You know, the town sent out postcards, I've gotten text alerts, phone calls, they're on the town website, they're on the town's Facebook page. But you must opt in to obtain the contracted rates. You can also go to colonialpowergroup, all one word, dot com, and then I think it's called forward slash, it's the one that goes this way, mm -hmm. slash North Andover, or you can call 866-968-8065, ask to join the town of North Andover's program. I called in, it was actually a Saturday morning, and one of the things they asked me for was my account number with National Grid. So just be sure you have it when you call in or opt-in, opt I guess is the best way to put it, via the website or when you call. It was very easy. It took just a few minutes. Thank you to our crew this month from GLTS. We've got Alex Santiago from Waystone or American Training. We've got John Cafori from North Shore Academy, Zachary Jones from Curry College, Carly Jones. This is starting to be turning into a family affair, I think, here. Our upcoming season schedule is starting to fill up. Join us in December when we'll be joined by American Training. In January, January we'll be joined by a familiar face in North Andover. Barbara Italian is now the Executive Director of the Disability Law Center. We are still actively talking to the Doug Flutie Foundation. Uh, with this week's elections, as you are aware, the town's delegation is changing in come January. And we have already extended invitations to State Senators Bruce Tarr and Barry Feingold, State Representative Tromwin, and incoming State Representative Adrian Ramos, as well as Congressman Seth Moulton. We're constantly looking for new topics to explore here on Ability Assistance, and we would truly love to know what topics you would want more information about. 
If there are any specific topics that you'd like to learn more about, please email me directly at pjones, he is in Phyllis, Jones, J-O-N-E-S, I remember the yes this time, at northandovermaduckov. And in addition to watching through cable, you can catch all of our programs on demand via YouTube, the Cablecast app through Roku and Apple TV, and the North Andover Cam website. And we always, <clears throat> excuse me, we always roll out the audio via podcast on Podbean. Until next month, thank you.